Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford, joined, as always, by my trusted colleague, Weston Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. A little short on sleep, Wes, but the Packers are in the win column. Week two is in the books. Green Bay posts a 35-17 victory over the Detroit Lions on Monday Night Football. One and one, tied for first in the NFC North. And when you look at this one, the 35 points offensively, it starts with number 33. Yeah, and as you said, uh, short on sleep but not short on points. Uh, the Packers' offense, uh, they got out the gates, and I thought it was the start they needed to have. It wasn't perfect. Aaron Rodgers talked about that afterwards, certain things they wish they could do. But the fact is they fed Aaron Jones early, and he produced in the red zone. I mean, to be able to get four touchdowns, three receiving, first time that's been done since 1942, it was a remarkable performance by him. And to, you know, last week, 15 carries, 43 yards on the ground. Green Bay just did not get their ground game going. And I felt like in this game, while they didn't break a big gainer, it allowed those offensive linemen to get comfortable. It allowed the offense to get into a rhythm. Matt LaFleur mentioned the benefits to him as a play caller. And at the end of the day, when the Packers made the decision to bring back Aaron Jones, these were the type of moments that they brought him back for. He is dynamic, and if teams are going to go cover two, we talked so much this week, myself included, about, okay, you pound that, you know, you pound the ball against that. Well, if they're going to let running backs be open in the flat, too, and a guy as dangerous as Aaron Jones being able to get the ball in his hand and look upfield, I thought you saw what he can turn that into. Yeah, absolutely. My favorite sequence in this game was right in the beginning on the very first possession Packers get into the red zone offensively and they ran the ball three consecutive times in the red zone to get themselves down there inside the inside the five yard line I leaned over to you in the press box and I said Wes I love it when they run the ball in the red zone I just it, it just it sets up everything else it just looks like they are in control when they are able to do that and actually Matt LaFleur said that the little push pass out of the shotgun that Jones yeah. caught on the jet motion, offensively they'd look at that as a running play, even though statistically it's it's a passing play and it goes for a, a uh, receiving touchdown for Aaron Jones. But they, uh, they, showed, they showed the commitment to the run. The Lions banged up in the secondary. We had talked about it. Jeff Okuda was not playing. They had some young guys back there. They, they kept their two safeties deep, I think, to protect – those young cornerbacks as best they could most of the game, and and the Packers took advantage. They didn't like, obviously, the three and out on the second possession after the, the productive first possession, but then after that, spanning the end of the second quarter into the second half, the Packers scored touchdowns four consecutive times. They had the ball, and that's exactly what they needed to do bouncing back from week one. Devontae Adams also obviously a big night with 121 yards receiving eight receptions. Rodgers talked about it after the game. This offense starts with getting the ball to 33 and 17. And when you just look at the numbers, Wes, if you take out the three kneel downs at the end of the game, the Packers ran 58 offensive plays. Based on touches and targets, Aaron Jones and Devontae Adams were involved in 32 of those yeah. 58 plays. That's when the Packers' offense is at its best. Well, and to bring it back to that first series, and as you mentioned, technically, yes, three three carries and a push pass. Yeah. But realistically, it was three times touching the ball in a run game orientation for 18 yards. It wasn't just that it was a nice 11-play, 75-yard drive to get on the board, get that first touchdown uh, that they were looking for. 
It was the fact that you saw how jittery that made Detroit in the red zone the rest of the game. I was thinking of that, you know, play action kind of rollout that they did later on, which was the the second touchdown catch, I believe, for Aaron Jones. That that was completely set up by linebackers and safeties biting on the Packers potentially running it up the middle. It was a nice play action read. That's setting up your offense. That's being able to to take advantage and, and mentally be one step ahead. But even more than that, I love the way that Aaron Rodgers attacked this defense, too. You talk about the 50-yard pass to Devontae Adams, which honestly, to me, as important as Aaron Jones was to get this thing started, I felt like that's where the Packers really started to put their, their foot you know, to the that, that was pedal. That was the play of the game offensively, really, from a situational standpoint, because it's the opening drive of the second half. The Packers are down 17-14, yes. and Rodgers had just been sacked on second and two, a 10-yard loss. You're staring at third and 12, to open the third quarter and you're down by three points and boom, the big hit down the field. Devonte Adams is in one-on-one coverage. Rogers said the lions had actually rotated out of cover two into a single high safety. So Devonte was, was one-on-one down the sideline, perfect throw, great catch 50 yard gain. And uh, from there, the Packers offense looked uh, pretty unstoppable. Well, and Rogers mentioned too, that the dangerous kind of weaponry in this offensive arsenal for Green Bay, when they go to that single high look, you're also having to keep attention on Marcus Valdez-Scantling and with his speed going downfield. And just to put an absolute perfect pass on Devontae Adams in that area, Adams, as he always does, he has the sideline as good as Jordy Nelson was on the sideline. And he made some miraculous you know, you know, air-bending type catches throughout his career. I don't know anybody that is more aware of his body and where he is in relation to the sideline than Devonta Adams. As he mentioned, that's a weapon for him. That's something that he can use at this level to get, you know, open. I mean, that's a part, that's a part of the whole game plan. Yeah. And then right after that, they come back. Rodgers, a beautiful pass to Robert Tunyon. Boy, was that a throw, huh? I, I mean, you and I, when we were up in the press box, it looked impressive. Yeah. But then I don't know if you saw that camera angle where it was actually the camera that's set up in the end zone, and you see just the absolute frozen rope that is coming <laughs> in on there, and Robert Tunyon makes a fantastic play on the ball. That was the game. That's where it started to break open. And I felt like whether it was offense, defense, heck, even special teams – I felt like Green Bay really felt like it had its mojo at that point. Yeah, and that uh, that throw to Tunyon for the touchdown was another third down. I believe that was third and seven from the 22-yard line. And Al Nazard was even wide open on yeah. the little shallow cross there over the middle. Rodgers saw the linebacker, Anzalone, with his back to him and uh, and said, well, he's not going to be able to defend this. He fired it in there to Tunyon, but even admitted Al Nazard might have scored if uh, if he had actually taken the shorter throw there. And that's what you love about this offense. I mean, Alan Lazard, I think, played 40 snaps. He didn't have a catch, but he impacted the football game afterwards. Matt LaFleur talking about, you know, Mercedes Lewis, the way that they affect games. Randall Cobb comes in, has three catches on a single series. They have different guys at different moments that can step up. As we talked about, it is Devontae Adams, it is Aaron Jones, but those situational football players, that's what made this offense the top-scoring unit a year ago, and it's what allowed Green Bay to really put this one away. Yeah, big third-down conversion there on the one series for Randall Cobb. That was uh, um, actually a couple of Two. a couple of conversions, uh, one of those on a free play yes, when Rodgers caught the, the Lions with 12 on the field, then another third-down conversion to uh to Cobb later in the ball game a little bit of historical perspective you mentioned Aaron Jones the three touchdown receptions first time since 1942 so Andy Urum if I'm saying that yep. correctly he was the last Packers running back to have three touchdown receptions in a game it was in 1942 
You remember in 2003 when Amon Green broke off that 98-yard touchdown run? Yeah. Okay, that's the longest touchdown run in franchise history. The guy who had the longest one before that, Andy Urim, Urim 97 yards in 1939. So I just wanted to say that because I looked it up in the record book. If you've never heard of Andy Urim, now you have. And he has a couple of uh, rather prominent places in in Green Bay Packers history. So with that, we'll go to a a shout-out. To our sponsors here, West Sirius XM NFL Radio delivers hard-hitting analysis and up-to-the-minute NFL news that true football fanatics need 24-7, 365. And at Cousin Subs, we have something for everyone, like our Wisconsin cheese curds, mac and cheese, golden fries, and creamy shakes, all paired with your favorite sub or sub in a bowl. Cousin Subs, we believe in better. I can't get over that. <laughs> that's that's where we need the lower third on the Spoff stats info. Andy Urum's a Packers Hall of Famer. It's not like he's a complete right. nobody. I, but, I'm just saying. But the, what the a modern day the modern day fans have probably never heard of him. No, and I just I thought I I thought I would throw that in there. In that much amount of time, you know, it's passed. I mean, it's, yeah. that's remarkable. But but kudos to Aaron Jones. Um, and also, I don't know if we're going to get back to it, so I just want to throw it out there too. A monumental night for him and his family. Yeah, to be able yes. to for him to get four touchdowns like that. He had 15 members. You know, his mother was there, his brother, his son, Aaron Jr. We all know the story of what happened with Elvin Sr., Aaron's father, this offseason. Unfortunately, passed away at 57 years old. Aaron had a little pendant that he was wearing. We found out after the game they actually lost it. He believed it was on that second touchdown grab. Fortunately, though, the report's out this morning. I believe it was on Steve Saban's show that he mentioned that he did find it. Credit goes to Brian Flea, Ingold, Packers trainer, was able to actually get that back for him. Flea out there hunting around in the end zone around uh, quarter to two, just just shy of 2 a.m., and uh, and he did find it. So Aaron Jones has the necklace and the pennant back. Another quick historical note, only four players in Packers history with multiple four-touchdown games now. Paul Hornig, Jim Taylor, Sterling Sharp, and Aaron Jones. That's some pretty good company right there. On the defensive side of the ball, Wes, it was not a good first half. The Packers were really struggling to find themselves defensively. There was one stop in the first half, thanks mostly to some Lions penalties that put them in a very bad down-and-distance situation. The other three possessions in the first half, two touchdowns and a field goal. Then the defense comes out in the third quarter after the Packers take the lead on that opening possession of the third quarter, and the Lions are moving again. Fourth and one on the Green Bay 25-yard line. The Packers get the stop. Eric Stokes, tight coverage on Quintez Cephas. Jared Goff's pass is incomplete. It felt like that play just completely changed things for this Green Bay defense. And it also helped that the defense was playing with a lead for the first time all season here in the middle of the third quarter of Game 2. Yeah, I asked Devondre Campbell, Packers inside linebacker, about that after the game in one of the Zoom rooms. And he mentioned, I mean, it just... To, to be able to get a stop like that, just the confidence builder that that was, just a momentum changer. Uh, and credit to Eric Stokes. I mean, this rookie first-round pick out of Georgia, he had an impressive outing with you know a little bit bigger of a menu of plays. The biggest adjustment, really, that they made defensively was in that nickel package. They brought in Stokes as the perimeter corner now opposite Jair Alexander, and they moved Kevin King into the slot. There was some miscommunication there early on on one of the touchdown passes to Cephas. Right. But in the second half, as the Packers started to dial up the pressure a little bit more, you got to see what Stokes can do as just a natural man corner and, and just had some really fantastic plays. As you mentioned, the fourth and one, 
you know, kind of quote-unquote garbage time at the end, but a, a remarkable PBU at the end of the game against Trinity Benson um, that kept points off the board. That's what the Packers wanted to see from this young man. He has remarkable speed, good size for cornerback, but can you step up in those moments? And I thought he passed a big test in this one. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're going to see some some more of Stokes. Now, the Packers are going to face deeper receiving core than than the Lions as as things move along here. The Lions still trying to piece together exactly who their um, perimeter weapons, their top perimeter weapons are going to be. But that being said, said Stokes with an impressive performance. I thought the I thought the fourth and one. If Anthony Lynn, the Lions offensive coordinator, was watching the film on the plane on the way home, he's going to want that call back. Yeah. He had he had Jared Goff in the shotgun, single setback. The Packers were kind of spread out defensively. Now, whether he was whether Jared Goff should change that to a run or whether Anthony Lynn should have just called a run, or if he did and Goff decided to throw it, I don't know. But you looking at that one from above, I was stunned that they didn't hand the ball off there on yeah. fourth and one. I think I think they definitely want that back. But quick the, fade like that, it just wasn't. It just wasn't. Yeah, that, that's that's that. a that's a tough timing play yeah. for sure in in that situation. But after that, the next three possessions for the Lions offensively, Goff has the fumbled snap on first down right when the rain started falling. Yep. It started coming down during that commercial break. And then, uh, sure enough, the very first snap, Goff can't handle it. Chris Barnes falls on it. So the Packers catch a big break there, a, a one-play possession with uh, the fumbled snap. Then you get a, uh, a pressure quasi-sack on third down from Rashawn Gary on the next possession to snuff that one out. And then with the Lions essentially abandoning the run because they're so far behind, you get an interception from Campbell with, uh, with, with Goff also under pressure and trying to scramble out of the pocket. So after the fourth and one stop, three more possessions where the Lions really don't get any, don't really get much movement at all in terms of offensive production. And, uh, and the Packers' defense, for as much as it struggled the first six quarters of the season, they finally have just at least a little bit to hang their hat on, a little bit of momentum that hopefully they can take into week three here in San Francisco. Yeah, and, and to add into your comment about Campbell, the fact that that was Jonathan Garvin, the second-year guy, former seventh-round pick, was the one applying the pressure to Goff. you got to imagine he feels really good about that I'm, on Tuesday morning looking back at that film, understanding, okay, I, I can do it. I can get after these guys at this level. Uh, the, the biggest difference to me, Mike, was pressure, and I don't have all the stats. I don't know how many more times they blitzed right now, but that was the difference. They were a lot more creative. You saw more games in the second half. You saw some more uh, blitzes from DeAndre Campbell in some of the dime looks. I, I just felt like they, they let their hair go back a little bit, and they just felt you know, played with a little bit more confidence. Yeah, and, what, and it, wasn't, it wasn't throwing the kitchen sink at Jared yeah. Goff necessarily, but it was definitely picking spots to send that one extra guy, whether it was Campbell, whether it was Adrian Amos. Kevin I think King. even one time I saw Kevin King yeah. maybe being the extra guy that was sent. So just sending that fifth rusher seemed to speed up Goff's play clock, and, and, uh, and the ball had to come out early. The Lions were not pushing the ball downfield, and, and the, whole, the whole narrative defensively changed, and it certainly helped that the Lions basically had to give up on the running game because of what the Packers' offense had done in building that second-half lead. Yeah, and I mean, the other thing, the big difference in this game was just execution, and it applies to both sides of the ball. I mean, the Lions in this game, as we mentioned, 0 for 2 
on fourth down last week. New Orleans two for two, uh, you know, four for nine on third down, which was, you know, markably better than last week against the Saints. And realistically, it also just discipline, Mike. The Packers played with a lot more discipline in this ball game. The Lions, as you said, there were instances where they hurt themselves with penalties. Yep. Green Bay took advantage of those, and they didn't really do the same on the other side. And if they did have a holding call or something, they found a way to pick themselves back up on the next play. I believe Tunyon's even, his 22-yard touchdown catch was a part of that. Defensively, do you have to hope that this is something that now when you go into San Francisco, because they're going to see a lot to, you know, stiffer tests in the weeks to come with next week, everything that Kyle Shannon can throw at you. The week after that, you know, Ben you know, Roethlisberger, one of the you know, sharpest minds in the game, it's going to get more difficult, and they're going to have to do some of these things on the road. But at least to get a feather in their cap here, you got to imagine that feels good for a defense that did kind of take it on the chin the first six quarters. Yeah, well, truly a team victory because the Packers also got a significant contribution on special teams, and primarily I'm talking about rookie seventh-round pick Kylan Hill with a 41-yard kickoff return in the second quarter. Now, mind you, this is with the Packers down 14-7. Right. He kind of runs into the pile, bounces off, keeps his balance, and makes his way down the sideline. And suddenly, even though the Packers are down by seven, they're starting a possession on their own 44-yard line, almost 20 yards further ahead than uh, than you'd be with a normal touchback. That was a significant moment in the game because then the Packers did take advantage of that field position, drive down, get the game tied up there at 14 in the second quarter. Devontae Adams had a really high praise for Kylan Hill after the game. He kind of went out of his way to give it to him, too. It was a question I asked just about the response, and he immediately pointed towards the special teams. And he, he basically said, he's like, you know, just based on the situation and the weapons they have, Kylan Hill didn't have a huge role, probably could have had a bigger role, but the spark that he gave them, especially on that 41-yard return, the longest return the Packers have had since Tyler Irvin's back in December of 2019. Which yeah, was longer, yeah, longer than any kickoff return last year that yeah. the Packers had. So for, for Hill to do that, to bounce off, make something out of nothing, and honestly, a breakdown on Detroit's coverage, that's what Green Bay needs to take advantage of. It's not about a guy with just 4-3 speed running past everybody. It's when somebody you know loses, they lost containment on the edge there. Yep. You have to be able to turn that thing upfield, and hey, Threw in a nice little hurdle, too, over Austin Siebert. <laughs> a little bit of spice, you know, get these guys yeah. going into that next series. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that that's a good sign. Corey Bohorquez also, um, Bohorquez, excuse me, for the Packers with the punting game. We saw, I was really impressed with the punt he had late in the game because yeah. it wasn't one of those, like, super high hang time ones. But he launched that thing with a ton of distance, decent hang time, but put it, like, right along the sideline. I mean, the biggest punt returns that happen against you are when the ball is kicked down yeah. the middle, when the returners get to catch the ball between the numbers, right? And even though that one maybe wasn't the, you know, the matching, the hang time with the distance like they, you know, they they like to say, if you can place the ball all the way over on the sideline like that, you're not going to give that returner chance to get much more than than maybe eight or ten yards, which even if he's getting ten yards on a 55-yard punt, you're taking that. Yeah, I mean, the 56-yarder to the sideline was exceptional. It's one of the better punts I've seen. Also, that was the one where I finally noticed, I was like, oh, that's a left-footed punter 
punting to the left sideline from the left hash. And you saw how much of a weapon that can be for that young man. I wish the coverage would have been better there. That's the only issue. We talk about you know, out-punting out your coverage yeah. or out-kicking your coverage. This was kind of the opposite of that. If Bjorkwes basically did everything he needed to do, the gunner just didn't get there in time. But because of how good that punt was and the placement of it, still ended up netting them 46 yards, also had one to the opposite sideline. I've been really impressed early on with how much touch he's shown along the sidelines. That's been one area where Green Bay, it wasn't just J.K. Scott, it was before that too. They've really struggled to get that directional punting game going. But Horquez, it's a very small sample size, but I thought that was a really promising development. Yeah, absolutely. Well, looking at the rest of the NFC North here before we sign off, West, the Packers 1-1, one and one, tied for first place with the Chicago Bears, who defeated the Cincinnati Bengals in Chicago in their home opener. The Justin Fields era has begun, apparently, yeah. due uh, mostly due to an, a knee injury to Andy Dalton. Um, doesn't sound like it's a season ender for Andy Dalton, but Justin Fields is going to be the man for the time being, and you wonder if uh, if that will be a uh, a more permanent thing now going forward. And then the Minnesota Vikings, a second straight heartbreaking loss um, after losing in overtime in Week One, they uh, they are set up for a game-winning field goal, 37 yards right in the middle of the field, and Joseph misses the kick, and Arizona survives with a one-point victory. So the Lions and the Vikings both 0-2. Packers and the Bears are at 1-1. One one. Vikings, one of those really bizarre games where they basically outplayed the Arizona on really every capacity. I mean, now Kyler Murray had a fantastic game, but, you know, Delvin Cook was much more effective on the ground. It seemed like they had a better rhythm. But at the end of the day, when games are that close, it comes down to situational football. And this kicker thing has been a deal. You know, it's been an issue for them now for going on five, six years. And it came back once again at an unfortunate time to sort of rear its ugly head. Yeah, and the one point was uh, a missed extra point from earlier in the game. He gets a chance for redemption to kick a game-winning field goal and misses that. So um, a tough one on the chin for the Vikings. But on our next show, take a look before our next show later this week. The schedule for the NFC North in Week 3, the Packers are playing the Niners. Look at the other teams at the NFC North. Um teams are playing it's going to be a really really interesting week in the division but we will definitely get to that on our next show for now we'll call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team on Packers.com for Wes I'm Mike thank you for tuning in everybody see you next time